following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Um, and as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And Taylor Hard Money Advisors, the publisher of that uh, newsletter, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And Chen just keeps on coming out with some, uh, some amazing picks. Uh, this uh, week he picked up on Valero, uh, which has really exploded upwards in price. Uh, he's also picked up some of the other refinery companies uh, that I have also added in my newsletter. Uh, some very exciting stories, I think, uh, in that in that space right now. Um, but uh, with respect to Chen, his newsletter is not available on an ongoing basis. If you do want to subscribe you need to put your name uh, on a list, and then at the end of the quarter, depending on attrition, he will add more names to the list. He's keeping the number of subscribers down uh, so that those who are uh, paying subscribers can benefit uh, uh, from uh, from their expensive uh, subscription. This is not uh, a low-price subscription. It is, um, it, it is uh, well, as they say, you get what you pay for a lot of times, and I think... Uh, with that, that's especially true with Chen because he just keeps finding um, really exciting stories, not only exciting, but stories that very often make an awful lot of money for his subscribers. So uh, uh, he, if you are interested in having your name put on a list, go to miningstocks.com, the website miningstocks.com, and, um, and there's a place there. Just click on Chen and uh, put your name on the uh, on the waiting list. You can also um, you don't have to wait to subscribe to my newsletter. I should mention though that um, certainly a lot of Chen's ideas do rub off on me. I have my own picks. I have some exciting ones I think are are well worth uh, paying attention to. Uh, especially there's there's one that I think is it's speculative, but it looks like it could be a real home run. That's a company that is involved with a pipeline uh, with a technology that can find. Um, and uh, uh, pipeline leaks, gas and oil pipeline leaks, uh, that I think is a must-have product. And if uh, if I'm right about that, it's going to be a huge success, selling at uh, about 30 cents right now. 
uh, Cinnadin is the name, and you can buy it in the U.S. as I have under the symbol SYXXF. There's a lot of very fun things going on, but that's not to say uh, that we're not in some very, very dangerous territory. I think that uh, I certainly believe that these markets are extremely risky. Uh, I think that um, we have this enormous amount of money that's been created out of thin air, uh, leads to all manner of bad investments. It leads to malinvestment, as the Austrian economists understand. Money going into bad projects, we only have to look back the last decade or so at the dot-com bubble followed by the housing bubble. Those were caused by nothing less than Mr. Greenspan at the Fed, who pumped huge amounts of money into the system that resulted in some very, very bad uh, decisions. And then what, ha- what does the Fed do? Well, the Fed comes along and pushes interest rates to zero. And as David Stockman noted on our show a couple of weeks ago, what that does then is basically uh, rapes and pillages capitalism in America. It is destroying capitalism from the inside out, as David says. And you can understand how that's happening. Look around you and see how the middle class is being wiped out. Certainly, what happens is, uh, if this is true, as I understand it is, that 80% of Americans' savings is in the hand of 55-year-olds and older. Well, 55-year-old people are either retired or thinking of retiring or will be retiring very very soon. They don't have ongoing income, so what do they do? Normally, you would think they could live off the interest uh, in some relatively safe investments like U.S. Treasuries that might pay some sort of reasonable equilibrium price equilibrium rate for interest, but there is no equilibrium rate for interest because it's been destroyed by the Federal Reserve, which is destroying capitalism. And so uh, the middle class is getting raped and pillaged by what I think is nothing less than a Marxist economic policy or fascist economic policy by the Federal Reserve and our federal government. So that's what we're up against. I mean, we are now being... uh, forced out on the yield curve we have to or out on the uh, out on the risk curve we have to take on more and more risky risky investments and you know that the pension funds can't make uh, can't can't meet um, their needs uh, with interest rates being uh, being pushed way below uh, any kind of reasonable level so what are they doing well this is an argument for uh, riskier and a riskier and riskier system if the pension funds have to go out and buy uh, if they have to go out and buy stocks instead of safe, secure bonds and AAA corporates and, and the like, well, uh, they're going to buy stocks, and that could push the stock market higher. We see a lot of new money going into mutual funds this year for the first time in some time, uh, and so that is looking very positive from a stock picker's point of view. Uh, you know, I, I see my inf- uh, inflation-deflation uh, watch is breaking out to the upside, and I think we could have quite a party for a while. But when the music stops, it could be anything but a party. Uh, it could be a very, very sobering moment. And there are those, including uh, one of our guests today, who uh, at least a few months back uh, thought that uh, that we are at a very much more risky position now than we were before 2008, before Lehman Brothers. Uh, we, we will talk uh, to uh, Simon Mikhailovich. He's going to come on. He is a money manager here in New York City. Uh, and, uh, well, well, we'll see what Simon has to say about that. Also coming on will be Brian London, uh, who writes, uh, the gold, uh, letter, a very, very, a long-standing letter, an excellent n- newsletter on the gold mining industry and on, um, on gold mining companies as well. Um, we just, uh, want to get, uh, we're also going to speak actually, uh, to another interesting person who we've had on the show before, um, and that's Jisper Gunenwegen, and he, uh, he is talking about, um, well, he's speculating as to what's going on with respect to the German 
uh, gold. Why is it taking? Why is it taking seven years for the United States to deliver only one fifth of Germany's gold, unless perhaps the Federal Reserve and the United States government doesn't have the gold? Certainly, the gold antitrust action people have been suggesting for a long time that that's the case. That in fact. Uh, during the uh, during the Clinton years, gold was pushed out of the market, suppressed the gold price to keep people confident in the dollar. You just drive the gold price down. The opposite is true, of course. If gold is rising dramatically, it shakes people's confidence in the dollar, and they want to go to real money, the honest money, the money that nature uh, has uh, has provided for us to use, which doesn't allow the kind of uh, uh, legalized counterfeiting, which is really what Mr. Bernanke is doing now. He's counterfeiting our money. He's creating endless amounts of claims and ticket money, as Larry Parks likes to call it, against the real goods and services that are produced by average folks every day. And of course, the bankers and the politicians are the thieves in this in this instance. They are the ones that are creating the money and reallocating wealth from the people that produce it, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, to uh, to themselves, uh, to allocate more and more government spending, more and more government uh, share of GDP, and more and more of the bankers. Uh, the bankers are gathering more and more share of GDP. This is happening on an ongoing basis. It is systemic since Nixon took us off the gold standard in 1971, and there is no reason to think it's uh, it's going to be over anytime soon. Uh, unless the system collapses and it's replaced with some sort of an honest monetary system again. At this point in time, though, it's hard to see how that's going to play out. Uh, we, um, we are going to be, uh, we're going to be talking to Jisper uh, Gutenwegen in a few minutes, uh, and we're going to see what his thoughts are on that um, with respect to that issue. Uh, we are also, um, just, just one more uh, note on uh, Brian London and uh, Simon Mikhailovich, uh, are on our show for the first time, uh, and Simon is a very interesting fellow. Came uh, over here from the Soviet Union uh, in 1978 with a mere $100 uh, in his pocket. Has managed to do exceptionally well. He manages money, and he has some great ideas about gold and and how you might be able to uh, to preserve your gold and your wealth and and uh, in a way and ways that you can preserve it and save it. And hopefully keep it from being uh, being taken from you either by governments or uh, whoever. But this is a, a real a real issue that we're going to talk to uh, uh, to Simon about and others as well. Um, and so we are going to um, we're actually going to take a break right now. Um, I should mention, and this is really I have my wrist slap for this. Uh, I didn't mention who our sponsors are for today's show. Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, Miranda Gold, Precipitate Gold, and Renaissance Gold. And I will be talking to uh, the president of Brazil Resources later in the second hour of today's show, although I'm going to be talking to him about uh, Uranium Energy, which is also a sponsor to this, uh, to this show from time to time. Uranium Energy uh, is one of the first, I think it's actually the first new uranium producer in the United States in recent times. Uh, Amir Adnani is an excellent CEO, has done an excellent job with uranium uh, resources, and we think that uh, uranium energy, and we think he's going to do uh, an equally good job. I believe he will in Brazil resources, which is why that stock is uh, is a top pick in my newsletter. Well, we're going to go to uh, to our break right now, and when we come back, I'm going to be with Jispert Gunenwegen, and we're going to talk to him about uh, Germany's gold, what's going on there, and why is it taking forever why is it taking seven years to get only one-fifth of Germany's gold back from the United States into the German hands? Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jesper Gunnenwegen. 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold. Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine finders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me Jisper Gunenwegen. He's been with us before, and Jisper uh, is a money manager, and, uh, well, he's uh, of Dutch descent, but we won't hold that against him. He is, uh, that means that he really uh, cherishes money. You know, the Dutch have this, uh, this reputation for being very, uh, very, very careful with their money. I worked uh, with the Dutch people when I worked at ING Bearings some time ago, so uh, I think that's a good way to be. Uh, uh, Jesper, it's really good to have you with me again. Thank you. Now, I wanted to talk to you today. I mean, you and I could talk about the market, about uh, the economy, and I know that you, we were just chatting before we went live here. You were talking about uh, you don't believe things are, are very good right now in the economy. You don't think that anything has really improved very much. As a matter of fact, I, I'd like to just pass on for a quick comment be, before we talk about gold, which is a, what I really want to talk to you today about. But 
somebody that uh, that I was actually a guest that's going to follow you today was saying in a Barron's interview that he had some six months ago or so that he believes that uh, we're more vulnerable now, or that we're just as vulnerable now as we were in 2008. What are you? What are your thoughts? Well, I think so too. Uh, I think nothing has really improved. I mean, if you look at the public debt in the U.S., which uh, probably has increased between five to six trillion in the last five years, and we are at five-year highs in, in in the stock market. I mean, there's something clearly wrong because we don't take responsibility for the increasing debt. And don't forget that at the moment, you know, interest rates are still very low. You know, they're at mm-hmm. 2% for the 10-year, and, you know, the 30-year is also extremely low still. But if those break out of the downtrend since 1980 that we have seen in interest rates declining, then you get a big, big move upwards. And what the consequences could be is that your bonds are going to be destroyed, but also that uh, you get huge deflation because um, also your housing prices will decline again. And um, I don't think it, look, it bodes very well. I think we, we are between you know, a rock and a hard place at the moment. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I think I have to agree with you on that. And uh, certainly uh, somebody, another person that I know, a fund manager, was uh, saying that you can play this asset uh, bubble right now. You can, you know, you can try to make money from it, but it's uh, akin to playing Russian roulette, that it, could, that it could go the opposite way any time. It's hard to know when it turns, right? I mean, how can you predict the timing of it? We'd all like to make money on the upside, get the heck out of Dodge the day before the crash. But how do we know? Well, you don't know. Timing is the most difficult thing. I think it's more a matter of looking at events. Um, I say to people, well, listen, you know, on the short term, I think you should trade opportunistically. But on the long term, you should be really, really scared because things just don't add up. I mean, uh, the problems in Europe have definitely not gone uh, gone away. Um, we, I see more downgrades for, for, the, for the country uh, ratings and so on. And um, look in the U.S. I mean, we, we, we keep on kicking, you know, the can down, uh, down the road. Uh, you know, we, we now had an extension or postponement for two, three months. But the problems are not being solved. And uh, there is no discipline to solve the problems. So, you know, I basically fear the worst uh, going forward. Uh, the question is only, as you said, when will it happen? You don't know. You only know it when you see the events uh, unraveling. Exactly right. And uh, we know there's a bubble, though, don't we? I mean, uh, Greenspan said way back when that you can't tell you're in a bubble until the bubble collapses. I think that's nonsense. But you know, what do you think? But uh, what I think is, you know, we have these very low interest rates of 2% and, and 3%, you know, but normalized rates would be much, much higher. If you t- would take out, you know, the, uh, the stimulus measures of the Fed, for example, your interest rates for your 10-year are not at 2%. They are at 6 7 8%. Right. And I think people are keeping to neglect that and just, uh, you know, uh, serve the dream, basically. But that will come to a standstill at one stage, and it will be ugly what we're going to see, I think. Well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of that as well. Well, uh, Jesper, what I wanted to talk to you today about was gold. Uh, and in particular, a little piece that you sent uh, to me that talked, uh, you raised the question, what if the Fed is short Germany's gold? Why are you asking that question now? Well, because there was a whole issue that the um, accountant office for the um, German government wanted uh, the Bundesbank to make sure that all the gold that they have stored in the uh, foreign vaults in in the UK and France and, and the US is indeed there so that they account for it. 
And the problem is that if it's not there, then you could have, um, you know, a big sort of breach of trust between the central banks. And that's sort of playing out in a way because originally the Bundesbank didn't want to, so the German central bank didn't want to, um, you know, go and, and, and do a real audit because it says, you know, we trust uh, other central banks and their statements and so on. But, you know, we have seen that in 2008, you know, when, for example, and this was regarding the money market uh, funds, you know, that they broke the dollar. What has happened was basically that they had used their um, uh, the, their funds in order to invest in higher yielding um, uh, products like the uh, mortgage-backed securities. Mm-hmm. And then when the market cracked, then suddenly, you know, when the, when the water was, uh, 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 you know, retracting, um, you know, they didn't have any clothes on, you know. And um, so don't forget we're all human. So uh, it doesn't mean, therefore, that, um, you know, the, uh, um, that the Fed does everything according to the books, you know. There's always been also the question of, you know, how much gold is there in Fort Knox? It hasn't been audited for many, many years. So... The question is, after pressure, you know, in the parliament in Germany and, 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 and people speaking up against it, uh, the Bundesbank then decided to um, repatriate 300 tons from the uh, New York Fed. It mm-hmm. will only do that by 2020. And that's, that's seven years from now. So why would they need seven years to repatriate the gold? Because if you don't have the gold in your physical possession, you still don't have anything. You still run counterparty risk. Yeah. So well, if they're my, going to have, if they don't have the gold now, uh, just mm-hmm. and they have to deliver it in seven years. It would mean that the United States would have to go out and buy it off the market in seven years or get it from some source, right? Well, that that's the whole issue. I mean, they don't disclose any information about that, but that you know is the assumption I make. Because otherwise, if everything was honky dory, why couldn't you deliver the gold this year or you know by next year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So my assumption is is that the Fed is probably short, you know, a lot of gold. Why? Because in the past what happened was that the central banks were leasing out, basically shorting gold, mm-hmm. yeah, in order to demonetize it, yeah, because there was paper money, it was fiat money, it was money that was given credence, credence as a result of, you know, the authorization or the fiat by uh, the monetary authorities. And gold didn't have a place in that. Basically, gold is the opposite of the reserve currency, i.e. the U.S. dollar. The U.S. dollar is the anchor, in a way, of the financial system. Yes. But what Indeed, has the, happened... Uh, the, the gold antitrust action folks were talking back at, during the Clinton years about how uh, Treasury Secretary Rubin and, and the Fed were getting rid of, were, were actually uh, doing, as you said, that is leasing gold out to try to suppress the gold price to keep the con game going in the dollar in the paper money markets, and um, uh, and, their, and their thoughts was that probably the Fed, uh, they also noted that, in fact, the accounting of the gold was, they don't, like, have separate accounts for the leased gold. It's like they just pretend that the gold is still in the vaults, even though it's been leased out in the market, many times leased out uh, uh, to the bullion banks, which would then lease it out to the mining companies, uh, you know, in, in a short trade uh, with future delivery of gold from the mines. That was something going on in Barrick. It was a big uh, was a big company in that, and they sort of helped suppress the gold price. Now it seems to be running in the opposite direction, though, doesn't it? In those days, we had net uh, dishoarding of gold, too. I mean, the central banks were openly 
uh, it wasn't just all clandestine. It was a lot of it was openly disporting, wasn't it? I mean, England got rid of theirs. Canada got rid of their gold. A lot of countries got rid of their gold. Why were they doing that? Just to suppress the gold price? Exactly, because basically, if you have gold, you it's very difficult to create credit. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and uh, because uh, if you have a gold standard. You know your 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 um, uh, your currency needs to be backed by gold. Yeah, so uh, you need to mine and 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 uh, and have gold in order to back it up with, you know, the currency that stands against it. Yeah, if you have a fiat money system, you don't have any correlation to gold or to something physical, and then you get the situation that we are in at the moment where, you know, uh, in an infinite way, you know, uh, paper money is being created, yeah? yeah? And so as a result of that, you know, we have seen that, for example, the, the, the Fed's uh, balance sheet has increased now to in excess of $3 trillion, yeah? Yes. And it's, it's very simple to create money, you know, by printing new money. You can't print um, uh, gold. You have to mine gold. You have to physically extract it from the earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, you already have a discipline that you don't have, you know, with paper money. Because paper but, money, you, you put your finger on the press, and it prints money. Yes, and it, it's indeed. Exactly but, just for, this, but just for we didn't have, we haven't had a gold standard. Are you saying then that a rising gold standard or a rising gold price suggests a de facto gold? standard, in fact, because there's confidence lost in paper. Well, that's clearly the trend we're going to, mm-hmm. uh, because the price increase from gold in 2001 from $250 per ounce to uh, currently around the dollars $1,700 per ounce is purely a function, in my point of view, of the debasement of the currency, or in other words, the dilution of the currencies, which has happened as a result of the stimulus measures that haven't sorted any effect. And the reason why they haven't sorted any effect is because the politicians and the governments have let the debts uh, grow so much that we have passed the tipping point. The tipping point is being regarded, um, you know, to be between 77 and 90 percent, you know, in excess of that uh, in terms of debt to GDP ratio. Mm-hmm. At that moment, the debt starts to depress economic growth, and that's exactly the situation we're in. So that's the reason also why several uh, central banks like uh, the Ukraine, Iraq, Portugal, uh, Brazil, Russia, China um, start, uh, have, have, have started to, to add um, you know, to their gold reserves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's very odd because paper money is the creation of the, of the modern central banks. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And the fact that the central banks are buying the opposite of their own creation, i.e. gold, yeah, is a very strange situation. It means that you don't believe in your own creation. And I use the metaphor that uh, it's like, you know, the butcher that doesn't eat his own sausages because he knows what's in it. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Jispert. Uh, you named several countries there that, that have been buying gold, Western countries, mm-hmm. not just the likes of China and Russia and places like that, but is the United States buying gold? Is the U.S. is the U.S. buying gold well, the now? United what are we States, doing? In a way, I thought it through, and I think that the United States can't buy gold. Why? Because it's the opposite of its own currency. Yeah, 
um, uh, the U.S. dollar is the is the reserve currency. It's the anchor of the financial system. Everything spills and centers around the U.S. dollar. So at the moment, the uh, the U.S. Uh, would buy gold, and we know that the U.S. can print uh, unlimited amounts of of uh, paper money. It would it would basically mean that you devalue, you know, your own currency. Next to that, people would very quickly stop allowing the exchange of dollars against gold because why would you buy something that has been devalued over the years for something that has real intangible value in itself, which is, um, you know, gold? Don't forget that the value of the dollar is backed in, a, in fact, by, you know, the economic strength of the USA. Mm-hmm. And when that diminishes, also the value of the U.S. dollar diminishes. And that's right. exactly what we are seeing going on now. Well, we are seeing it go on now. And uh, we, we could certainly use a lot more time with you, uh, Jisper. But I, I do want to uh, ask you one or two quick things yet. We had uh, John Butler on this show. He's written a book called The Golden Revolution. John is convinced uh, that the U.S. will ultimately be forced onto some sort of a gold standard, an international trade gold standard. He's not suggesting that the United States government will allow gold to be money again, but that the trading partners, especially the net creditor nations, are going to demand something other than paper, uh, worthless paper money for uh, for trading. Do you do you see that happening possibly? And if so, then let me ask you this: If the U.S. doesn't have the gold, might we be in danger of confiscation as citizens in the United States? Well, first of all, you know, the, the, as we know, the U.S. dollar, um, the, the ultimate form of, of, of your wealth is the purchasing power of your currency, yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah. And the currency is being devalued, uh, as we just discussed. I mean, unlimited amounts are being created out of void, out of nothing, and there is no sustainability, there is no economic growth. So you undermine your credibility and, you know, your fiat money, your paper money is based on credibility. So if your credibility goes, there goes the value of your currency. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So um, and that's the anchor of your system, the dollar. If the dollar goes, you need another anchor to, um, you know, establish a new monetary system, which indeed should be commodity-based, and I think it should be gold-based, yeah, because fiat money creates manipulation, and um, a a commodity-backed system, i.e. gold or silver, um, uh, creates um, discipline. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that gold would probably be in any form the next anchor of, of the next financial system. Um, but I think that gold could be confiscated, you know, for the greater good. And therefore, my uh, uh, preferred precious metal is silver. Uh-huh. Because I don't think silver will be confiscated. And silver is very, very cheap, you know, at $30, uh, $31 an ounce. It's extremely cheap. Next to that, silver is a byproduct of, um, you know, for 70% of diff- all kinds of different metals. Right. And therefore, I don't think silver has the depth of the gold market in order to, you know, uh, fulfill that function of a new anchor of a, a new financial system. Right, indeed. Well, of course, silver is much more of an industrial metal, too, and so you would, also, you would think the government would have to... Uh, 
would have to allow uh, that market to continue on. Well, it's been a really uh, fun talking to you. Uh, we do have to go. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but we'll have you back again, hopefully, just for some time in the near future uh, to perhaps talk about this topic or some others that I'd like to talk to you about as well. I know that you're involved with uh, the energy sector, too, to a certain extent, and that would certainly be a question for you, given your view of the world. Um, you know, what are you doing in the energy sector? We don't have time now. I'll talk to you about that sometime in the near future. Uh, but thanks again for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with thanks, Brian Andy. London. He's the editor of the Gold Newsletter, one of the longest-standing newsletters uh, in the hard money field. So, uh, Brian London, you're not going to want to miss what he has to say about the gold markets, and I think he may also have some stock ideas for you as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Brian London. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Amir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Brian London, 
Uh, Brian is the editor of the Gold Newsletter, and uh, he uh, his uh, career spans three decades back uh, in the investment markets. Uh, he served as president and CEO of uh, Jefferson Financial. It's uh, really a highly regarded publisher of market analysis, and it's a producer of the investment-orientated uh, events. Uh, under the Jefferson Financial umbrella, Brian publishes and edits Gold Newsletter, uh, that's a cornerstone of the Precious Metals Advisories since 1971. Indeed, I can remember going way back. I'm old enough to have uh, been a subscriber to Gold Newsletter back in the late 1970s, early 80s, uh, when it was headed by James Blanchard. Um, Brian also hosts the New Orleans Investment Conference. That's the oldest and most respected investment uh, event of its kind, and uh, certainly a lot of very prestigious speakers over the years have been there, uh, some of the giants in the uh, in the hard money movement for sure, and some of the uh, giants in the anti-hard money movement too, which uh, I think is very interesting as you keep a lot of uh, controversy and people uh, airing out both sides of, of arguments. I think it's always always healthy and always entertaining. Well, sometimes uh, sometimes a bit brutal perhaps, but it's always good to keep an open mind and to listen to both sides. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really uh, an event that actually it's one I've never attended, hope to sometime in the near future. Um, Anyway, welcome, Brian. Really good to have you with me. Jay, it's great to be here. Uh, you, you have, um, you know, the gold newsletter, and I, you know, I went on eBay, actually, and ordered a whole bunch of gold newsletters. They're in my garage now, but they were going back. Somebody had them, and they were selling them, and I don't remember what I paid, a song and a prayer for them, but I have really? them going all the way back uh, into the 70s, I think. And, mm-hmm. um, but it is, uh, James Blanchard was really... A legend in my mind, and a lot of people's minds, and he was very, very important, was he not, in getting gold legalized again in the United States? He was, he was very much an activist for hard money causes, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. That's where it all started. You know, he uh, he was driving along uh, the day that Nixon closed the gold window, and mm-hmm. he'd already been a gold bug and, and a real follower of Ayn Rand and a diehard libertarian. And when that happened, he heard it on the, the news on the radio, and he vowed at that point that he, he would have to do something. So literally at, at that evening over his kitchen table, he started Gold Newsletter as a way of advocating um, for the return of the right of gold ownership for American citizens. And uh, he wrote letters to all sorts of people, Barry Goldwater, uh, uh, Von Mises, Hayek, and surprisingly got, got responses from a number of them, and they became subscribers and helped him. Um, really in this, this, this kind of protest movement of, at a time to return the right of gold ownership. And that was all sparked by, by Nixon closing the gold window. So, so Jim would, would do these protests all over the country from Washington to, uh, he would hold pr- press conferences across the country and, and brandish a, a two ounce, uh, bar of gold that he smuggled in from Canada. And he would, he would issue, uh, uh, run ads before the uh, protest and he would tell the treasury he would be there and he would be there with this ounce of gold and please come arrest him. Um, and they never did, of course, but, but eventually it was uh, fairly effective. And, you know, Jim Dines helped out along the way and a number of other people along the way, but, but that's where Gold Newsletter really got its start was um, as a way to publicize this cause and kind of bring people together uh, to advocate for gold ownership again. 
When did you uh, when did you acquire uh, the Gold Newsletter? When did you start working? Well, you worked with them before, but when did it become your operation or your? Yeah, you started I, I heading started up? with Jim in uh, in 1985 as a junior copywriter, and we really hit it off. We had a lot of interests in common. Um, and Jim sold his big coin company to uh, investing partner of General Electric in 1988. And, uh, and they frankly kind of ran it into the ground. And by 1990, uh, it was just a shell of its former self. So Jim bought back the company, sold it to the management group at the time, and then uh, took me and uh, the uh, conference business and the newsletter business and started uh, Jefferson Financial. So I was kind of running it for Jim at the time. This was about 1990, and uh, Jim passed away in 1999. And uh, I was a junior partner in the company at the time, so I just I, I bought the uh, remaining share from the estate and have been running it ever since. Well, it's very good that you did because it's. Uh, I think it's a very important institution that's been kept alive. The newsletter, as well as your investment conference, the New Orleans Investment Conference. For those listeners that may not be familiar, tell our listeners a little bit about that. Well, Jim started that in 1974 as gold was being signed into uh, the gold legalization bill was being signed into law, and he held it uh, to teach American investors how to or show them how to invest in gold. He was worried that they were going to be taken to the cleaners by the mm-hmm. global uh, uh, gold investors, and in fact, that's exactly what happened. But he uh, he held his first conference in 1974, expecting 102 people, and and ended up getting 700 people. Mm. And then it just uh, grew and grew over the years. He, he had a, uh, he, a penchant for inviting really big-name speakers like no one yes. else would. And over the years, he had Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand actually had her last public speaking experience at our, con- at our conference. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had Margaret Thatcher, Milton Friedman, uh, Frederick Hayek, uh, Alan Greenspan. Um, the list goes on and on. And we've tried to uh, to carry on that tradition. Yes, you have. You've had uh, a lot of fairly big names there in recent years. Who did you have this past year? Uh, this past year, we had Sarah Palin, who you know kind of fit our tradition of having controversial speakers, and mm-hmm. uh, and she did a great job. We also had Charles Krauthammer, mm-hmm. Mark Faber, Peter Schiff, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Rick Santelli. Go so, so this year we have Krauthammer and uh, Schiff and Mark Faber coming back. We also have, I'm pleased to say, we are uh, getting Ron Paul back. Oh, wonderful. We're really looking forward to that, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ron's been on this show a few times, and uh, his chief of staff is frequently on uh, this show as well. Ron is really a champion of, uh, of liberty and, and, of course, understands the connection between honest money and liberty, which I wish people could understand. They don't either don't want to understand it or... Uh, they just, I don't know, I, I think they don't want to understand it because I think people sort of like to think they can have a free ride, huh? I, I, I don't know, uh, Jay, I'm frustrated with it too. As I told you recently in Vancouver, uh, you know, you're one of the few people out there who really understand, left out there, who really understands the real role of gold uh, in, in a monetary sense. You know, we're all invest, involved in these speculative markets and various commodities and everything else, but but very few people, even involved in these markets, understand really the role of gold um, and the, the role of gold as a tool to protect citizens uh, from their own governments, right. from the, right. the inevitable destruction of fiat currencies. And the, you're right, there's just very few people out there that understand that. I mean, sometimes, I'm sure you feel the same way, you just want to scream at the, uh, 
the TV screen when CNBC is going is on the air, and they have some analysts up there talking about why gold went up or why it went down or why the, the gold bull market is doomed, etc. Right. And well, the they don't understand, but I think they're they're probably uh, thanks to Ron Paul and others like yourself and and those of us who do understand Austrian economics, free markets, and why mm-hmm. and why gold you know is is the choice of the markets, not the not the choice uh, that we're forced to use at the point of a gun. Why uh, why it is necessary, and I guess we just have to carry on. But certainly, there are a lot of people that do understand. Uh, I think it's relatively few for sure. But I want to ask you: uh, you did an interview. Uh, think it was uh, I forget where it was. Perhaps with the a with the gold report or something, but mm-hmm. I so an interview you did recently, uh, and it was done I think before the elections, and you were suggesting yeah. that uh, if Obama won, it would be uh, very bullish for gold, uh, maybe less so if Romney had won. Did do you feel that? Do you still feel that way? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I had told people beforehand, and I followed through with it that my alert issued after the election results came in. If Obama won, then the, the headline was going to be buy gold. Um, and I couldn't put it, uh, you know, better than that. Um, Obama's reelection means just a continuance of the very same policies that have gotten us to uh, the position, position we are now. At least that's the way I felt before the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I didn't realize is what it really meant was that it was an acceleration of those policies. It's, it's um, you know, the collectivist uh mm-hmm. Socialist policies unchained now, without the, the specter of an upcoming election overhanging um, uh, the administration. They're free to do whatever they want to do, and and I think um, you know that's been borne out. Well, since the election, I believe it was just since the election, Germany has requested that some of their gold be returned from the United States, and uh, they seem to be. Uh, fairly satisfied to collect only one fifth of their gold over the next seven years. Wh- why is it taking so long for Germany to get its gold back? That's one question. Secondly, I'd like to ask you, why do you think they want it back? Why are they all of a sudden uh, Germany uh, wants to, to get its gold back when it was satisfied to let the United States keep it? Well, I'll answer years. those in in reverse order. The sure. the decision to return the gold seems to have been a result of of uh, some. Uh, a popular uprising, as it were, uh, uh, locally in Germany. They were they were calling for an audit of Germany's gold reserves, mm-hmm. and the Bundesbank resisted that, saying that's just not you know proper behavior among central banks. We trust each other. We don't ask for <laughs> audits. Um, but still, there was a hue and cry saying, "Well, why are you resisting an audit?" So to kind of quell uh, that uprising, the Bundesbank came out with this announcement. That they're going to return uh, uh, some what is six hundred and forty tons or so, mm-hmm. six hundred and forty-seven tons of their gold from uh, the Federal Reserve vaults in New York and from Paris to hold about fifty percent of their overall gold reserves domestically in Frankfurt, um, and they're going to do it over seven years. And they thought that this would be uh, appeasing the calls for a gold audit. Um, how in the world a central banker would think that this would appease the calls for a gold audit, I don't know. And I don't think the calls are going to grow any quieter because of it. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't answer the question. Um, it doesn't even address the question. And as far as the reason why they're taking seven years to do it, I think that's obvious because the gold isn't there. Mm-hmm. There's simply no other reason. You could yeah. do it in, you could do it in a day if you wanted to. It'd be a bit of a logistical problem, but I mean, certainly within a few months, you could do it. 
and and there's absolutely no reason why if there is allocated gold, German gold held at the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, that it could not be delivered uh, post haste. So it's not there. That's simply put. And uh, you know, we published Frank Van Rosso's work in the late 1990s when he kind of detailed the whole issue with central banks loaning and leasing and swapping their gold out and accepting paper IOUs in exchange. Uh, the, the idea at the time being that if this gold was ever called back or if it was ever exposed, the gold wasn't really there, uh, then the gold price would explode because the, the, it would have to be replaced at whatever price um, uh, gold was trading for at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it would be kind of like the uh, um, Soros' raid on the pound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there would be a, a real short squeeze in gold, and, and that's what I think could be. I mean, it's this this could be just the first step in a real groundswell of uh, a groundswell movement for countries having their citizens uh, seeking to have their national gold reserves audited at least, mm-hmm. if not returned. Mm-hmm. Well, we had no uh, reason to resist that. Really, if the gold is there, there's no reason to resist an audit unless you're hiding something. Right. It would it would seem to be the case, and we haven't had it audited as you, as you pointed out since the Eisenhower administration. We had uh, I mentioned this to our last guest as well, and I want to pass it by you. We had on this show uh, a an author, uh, John Butler, who's an investment banker out of out of Link, out of on, London. Uh, he wrote a book called The Golden Revolution, and John is convinced that. Uh, that our trading partners are going to demand uh, some sort of a gold-backed uh, currency uh, for international trade. He's not suggesting that the United States will allow us here in the U.S. to own use gold as a currency, as, as money, but uh, he believes it's inevitable, and his thought is that in order to make this workable, uh, you would need at least a $10,000 gold price. Do you, do you think um, that sort of thing might be possible? Let's say that there's confidence lost, the gold isn't there, people start to figure that out. It seems to me what's going on here uh, with uh, taking seven years to deliver a small amount, relatively small amount of gold is suggesting rather than uh, than settling people down, is probably causing people to be a little bit apprehensive about the whole situation. Do you think that we could possibly be headed back to some sort of an international gold uh, trading system? Well, I, I I agree. I think it's inevitable when you see that the only way the uh, global economies can be um, uh, sustained or floated is on a sea of new fiat currency. And, and that's the... The trend right now, and all at least in the Western world, is is quantitative easing to eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you and, and that leads to uh, currency uh, uh, trade wars. You know, it gets to competitive devaluations. Um, so as the, the faith in yeah currencies generally deteriorates, then I think gold will rise, and it's already doing so as an alternative currency. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's anything that has to be done by uh, government declaration is just as simple as demanding gold for payment in, in international contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think you'll see that happening eventually. Now, yeah. if that's associated with some question about what the real supply of gold is in the world today, and you think it's much less than as, uh, the statistics show, then yes, I think you can have a, uh, a, a, the price catapulting high to, you know, higher to levels that we can't really dream of today. But, but I do think that uh, 
gold as a currency competing with the dollar and the euro is uh, will be uh, de facto um, if it isn't already to some extent. Well, it, uh, if we go to a gold-backed standard internationally for international trade and the U.S. doesn't have the gold, as, uh, as many people believe is probably the case, or doesn't have all the gold it claims to have, mm-hmm. if, if it has to go out in the markets and buy gold to, to hand it over to Germany or whatever, uh, or if it doesn't have the gold it needs to satisfy the U.S. trading needs in that case, then do you think that we as Americans might be vulnerable to confiscation again? I think that's a real long shot, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's also a long shot that my home catches on fire, mm-hmm. but I keep my uh, fire insurance paid up, mm-hmm. and and that's what I recommend that people do. It, it, I, I really, I think we're in a new day and age. I think the precedent is there, but uh, it would be very difficult to confiscate uh, American citizens' gold and 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 the, the modern world that we're in today. Um, but it's certainly possible, mm-hmm. and a lot of other things are possible. And your real protection, your only real protection for these types of financial catastrophes is gold and silver. Well, I wonder also, you know, in the 1930s when gold was confiscated, gold mining stocks did very well. And uh, with the three minutes we have left, I'm very sorry we don't have more time, uh, the gold, gold shares did very, very well. Might that be one way that people can play gold and uh, diversify the risks away from the possible confiscation, either through taxation or through... Because if, if the U.S. needs gold, uh, I don't know, maybe government thinks it can run gold mining companies better than than the technicians that run them. I mean, that would be a stupid thing. But do you think mm-hmm. that that might be one way that people could uh, protect themselves uh, by owning gold shares? And then perhaps you'd like to name one or two gold mining companies that, that you think are, are outstanding possibilities. Well, I think that uh, it's possible with gold shares. I, I think if you're contemplating gold confiscation, uh, you want to have uh, your gold in old uh, circulated U.S. coins, which could be classified as collectibles. Um, you would want to have silver coins. I like uh, bag silver or junk silver. I've been recommending that, which are old 90% silver uh, circulated U.S. coins. Uh, the government never confiscated silver in the mm-hmm. 1933. Uh, so that's another way to diversify. Um, I do believe that, that uh, you should be diversified in gold stocks, miners through the junior explorers uh, for other reasons. Um, I think in, in, in a time where we would have gold confiscation, I think that uh, those stocks would probably take a hit initially. That may not make them worth owning beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in that area, there's some companies that I like a lot. I like uh, currently, I focus, as you may know, um, on a lot of the juniors, the exploration juniors that offer a lot of speculative upside. I like Kamenak gold right now. That's K-A-M on the uh, Venture Exchange. Mm-hmm. It is a, uh, an established resource on its coffee project in the Yukon. Um, I like uh, Keegan Resources, KGN, on the Toronto Exchange. They're uh, uh, merging a PMI Gold Corp to make a really well-positioned, large uh, West African mining company. Um, nothing in production yet, but on the way to production. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like a uh, explorer right now uh, called uh, Caden Resources, C-A-Y-D-E-N, the symbol C-Y-D, on the Venture Exchange. They have a developing project in Mexico, a really good land position. 
um, next to the largest producing mine in uh, in Mexico. All right, Brian, uh, we're just about out of time. I want you to tell our listeners how they can follow your work, and you do provide a, it's a, you know, a reasonably priced gold newsletter. Tell our listeners how they can sign up and, the, and your website, perhaps, where they can go and follow your work. Uh, they can go to goldnewsletter.com, simply goldnewsletter.com. Uh, learn all about uh, the newsletter and the New Orleans Conference and uh, what we have going on. Very good. Excellent. Well, there's a whole lot more that we could have covered today, but uh, maybe some other time if you're willing to come back. Uh, love to have you back. Thank you very much, uh, Brian, for being, for being with us. And um, I'll look forward to seeing you at, a, at an upcoming conference somewhere or another if we don't talk before. Me too, Folks, Don't go away. We're, uh, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll have Simon Mikhailovich. Uh, he's a co-managing member of Idasis, or I should say Edasis Capital here in New York City. He's going to talk to us some more about gold and how you might protect yourself with gold and uh, how you might best um, own the yellow metal. So don't go away. We'll be right back after the break with Simon Mikhailovich. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. 